that's within me. I want to share with you how thankful I am. So uh, uh, he, he basically says, well, I mean, his own words, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Now, let me ask you a question there. Are there people in your life that's like that? I mean, are there people in your life that you thank God for? And what kind of people are those? I mean, what kind of people are they? I mean, you ever really thought about the type of people that you want in your life that you would just, man, I thank God this type of person is just in my life. What does that look like? And these are questions for you. I'm not going to sit here and answer them all. I'll give you some insight into some things here in a second. But like, what does that look like for you? What self-reflection do you take upon of what your friends look like? How, how are they your friends? What are the key uh, characteristic traits? Why do you think you need these other people in your life? And I challenge you to write that kind of stuff down. Better, better yet, man, here, here's an exercise that I was taught that helped me understand the type of people I want around me. Uh, I, I attended a, a small little one-day I wouldn't call it a conference. It was more like a special invite. I got to go to uh, sit in the room with some really amazing leaders, and uh, they just did this total whiteboard type thing. It really wasn't any something spectacular. It was like 60 of us in a room. And he began to say this, you know, Jesus had 12 people around him. And in those 12 people he had around him, uh, there were still three, right? I mean, we know who the three special ones, right? I mean, really are. I mean, like when he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, there were people, there was other people that didn't get to go, right? Peter, John, and James. They were the three, all right? So like if the question became to us as leaders, who would those 12 people, if I was to ask you 12 people in your life right now that you call out friends, who would those 12 be? You don't say that out loud or anything, but you write something like that down, Okay. All right? If, if that was the challenge, you write that down. Okay, now out of those 12, who would your top three be? Now out of your top three, what are their characteristics that make them the top three? Now there was a lot of things that got wrote on the board. Like they would just announce these things and they'd write on the board all this stuff. And man, so many of them are like loyalty. Because pastors tend to prize that. Loyalty. Um, integrity. Honesty. Um, you know, joyfulness. There's like all these cool characteristics. You know the one that I thought was missing? Maybe it's the antagonist to my life. But I was like, wait, there's nowhere in any other group where it said challenging. I've talked a little bit about this before. It drives me crazy. I'm like, because I was thinking, well, no, man, I'm going to tell you right now, if there's not an antagonist in your life, how are you growing? How, how do you grow? If there's not somebody calling you out, if there's not somebody uh, disrupting your train of thought, if there's not somebody who challenges the way you think or believe, if there's not somebody who is always like the kind of plays the devil's advocate in your life, how do you grow? I mean, the old saying is the stone is what sharpens the sword, right? Adversity is the stone that sharpens the sword. It comes against it. It seems like, it seems like a rock would blunt the sword. But at the right angle, it makes it sharp. What stone is in your life that seems unmovable? I mean, for Paul says, man, I haven't, stopped I haven't stopped thanking God for you. Now listen, he didn't say they were perfect. He didn't say they didn't have problems. By the way, the only reason we have epistles is because the church all have issues. There's no perfect churches in the Bible. They all have issues. That's why Paul wrote them letters. They're all struggling. They've all got some problems going on. So Paul's like, ah, 
And he starts out, like, like I said, we just said last week, every good leader starts out with what? I love you. Know that I am your friend. I thank God for you all the time. And there's not going to be a but. But I, I kind of got to talk to you about some things. I got to correct you on some things. I got to play the antagonist here real quick with you. Why? Because it's important that you grow. Not grow in Paul, but grow in Christ, right? So like one of the th key things, like in the people that you thank God for, Paul, think about the frustration Paul has. He wrote a lot of letters, guys. Like most of the New Testament is all Paul being frustrated. And in his frustration comes what? Wisdom. Wisdom. So when you think about the people who challenge you in your life or, or the people that are in your life, are they challenging you or are they people that just make you feel comfortable? By the way, if you have people that just make you feel comfortable in your life, you're probably not growing. Because why would you? You never have to. You never have to. Uh, my wife always says, I always love the, the preachers that heap it on me, like bring fire and brimstone to make me feel guilty or something. And she goes, it's not that I really feel guilty. I know who I am in Jesus. But they challenge me to go deeper. They challenge me in what they're saying or they'll challenge me. They'll make me feel uncomfortable. And when I'm uncomfortable, I seek out truth. Man, shouldn't we all be like that? Shouldn't we all? So that's kind of a, a beginning there, man. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. What are the characteristics of your friends? That's a new one on me. I have no idea what that is. All right. I have no idea. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's what we're here to do, guys. Sharpening never feels good. Matter of fact, if you ever, you know why you oil the stone? Because little pieces of metal are all up in it, and if you keep rubbing it against a stone that's not oiled, it'll tear up the metal. It's a rough surface. Friends sharpen friends but we won't do it by making you comfortable. Sure, we love you. We accept you just like you are, but the friend wants to see you better than you are. Friend wants to see you better. That's what a friend is, right? So Paul kind of encouraged them in this way. Man, I am so thankful for you. There's no headache between us because there's some frustrations there. There's no issues between us just because there's some, you have issues. That, that, that doesn't exist between us. There's, Paul, Paul basically was encouraged because he knew, first of all, that their repentance was a true heartfelt repentance. These people who had basically, they were lost in idolatry. They were lost in this, this sorcery, this witchcraft, and all these other things that Acts 19 revealed. They repented. They turned. They began to worship the Lord. Now, this, this repentance had caused a washing, not just in their hearts, but by the way, just as much as sin has an effect on others, so does repentance. Repentance has an effect on others. When you are truly repentative, think about this now. Now, when you sin, you know. I mean, I don't have to really explain that that difficult, that your sin actually affects everyone else. Ask a drunk driver. Your sin, your gluttony for alcohol in a moment in the car, in a bad, poor decision because you're under the influence, affects everybody, all these other people around you. All right? So we... It's pretty easy for us to understand the idea that sin has consequences that exist outside of ourselves that affects others. Secondly, repentance. 
also has a cause and effect that affects others. When these people in Ephesus begin to repent, begin to turn their life away from things that were ungodly, right? What happened? The financial district blew up. All of a sudden, these people who'd been buying all this fake idols, all these uh, magicians' book, all this sorcery, anything they could get their hands on to fill that hole in their heart, all of a sudden that industry was gone. Man, we about to ride up in this place. They're ready to, like, burn the city down, man. We need to get this Jesus stuff out of here. We was making money off these poor suckers. And that's what was happening. Repentance also had a cause and effect. By the way, it makes you wonder, man, if we really had true, more true repentance, what kind of place our city would be. Just saying. But that's what it looks like, guys. It's a turn from one way to another. And repentance isn't easy, and it often looks different for everyone. So before we get real quick to like uh, talk about, like the funny, we, I talked about it last night with Mike and said, the funny thing about repentance is this, it looks different for everybody. And sometimes it runs a different race, a different pace than everyone else too. So it's hard to be, like, by the way, you probably that's what, that, that we can't help but judge. So just get that out of the way. This idea that like, I'm never going to judge anybody. You judge everybody. Just get over that part. That's going to happen. All right. Allow me to give you some spiritual wisdom about judgment though. Realize when somebody, the hard part, this is where spiritual, we're going to talk about it a little bit, the next kind of thing we're going to break into, because what Paul's going to talk about is wanting them to have spiritual wisdom, and, and when he says inside, it basically means like spiritual discernment. Uh, you're going to have to recognize when somebody truly has repented. If they're truly trying to turn, but they're still struggling with things that are attached, you have to have some kind of spiritual insight to see, I need to give grace. And then there are times when people just say things, and they're not at all. Now, how do I know that? Because to me, both will look a lot alike. And if you're not careful, you'll heap judgment on both because you won't know any better. All right? And by the way, when you don't know any better and you think it could be maybe, that means don't say anything. All right? Until you have the spiritual discernment, until God said into you, hey, probably you should say something. All right? Because at some point, you also have to be strong enough in the gospel to go, you need to repent. You need to own it. And you need to turn from your ways right now. You, you, I mean, like, it, it, uh, our culture is one where we don't understand this really much, and so we tend to judge it. And what, what else do we have? Can you see in the heart of a person? Do you know the actual intention of someone? We try to judge that in the court of law, but it's so hard. Do you know the actual intent of the heart? Can you actually see what the brain is thinking between the two? Can you, can you see that take place? Well, no. Only God can. Then be very careful about how you look at people and judge people in their walk. Just saying, guys. Be very careful because it's hard for you to know. And, and how can you know? Well, we shall know them by their fruits. But I'm going to tell you right now, uh, uh, I can show you in the Bible where you can do all the fruits you want and still not be saved. So that we have people who are doing everything. It, they look like a healthy tree, but they ain't. They ain't, man. There's a sickness up inside of them, man, for self-glorification and self-righteousness. And so the things that they're doing are not so that God can be glorified, but so that they can because you see them as esteemed because they have fruit. By the way, man, the funny thing about God's decrees, they work for the wicked and the righteous. The wicked people understand. Listen, man, there are people out there who don't believe in God at all, but understand the tithe. They understand the tithe. Man, like, like I said the other day, it was funny to see, you know, they asked some kid, like six-year-old kid, like what he learned last year. And it's like karma, that if I do good, I reap good. 
Uh, duh. Right? We all know that. That doesn't make you Christian. That doesn't make you godly. You can do good things and never be godly. Repentance, repentance, repentance. A turn from the old way and embracing a life of Christ. Being honest about who we are helps people see the, the real struggle within us. If we always just show them our best without showing them our worst, right? Then what glory does Christ get? They need to see the conversion. They need to see. They need to hear that story. By the way, Revelations, remember? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, obviously, and what? The power of the testimony. Why is that so powerful? Because it shows how the blood of the Lamb works. It shows how the cleansing takes place. True repentance. Most of the time, I love Matt Chandler. He says this about it. He says, you know, there's this, uh, during the church year, it looks like a pendulum. One side swings way over here, and we're preaching all about grace because we want people to understand that Jesus loves them. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. There's nothing you can do that, that makes God love you more. And then it swings over here because uh, uh, we can get too carried away and not realize, wait a minute, though, you've got to repent. You know that, right? You're supposed to like acknowledge the fact that you've done bad things. You've done stuff that's wrong. You know that it's not right. You feel that calling and that drawing from God before the, remember like before the foundation of the world, God's calling you and drawing you. He wants to fill that void inside of you. And so he says, come to me, come to me. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. I'm going to start following after Jesus. And so we, we preach this other side that says, I need to see your fruits. I need to see that you're saved. I need to see that you're godly because if you repented, then there should be some fruits of repentance. And so the pendulum swings over here in about two weeks out of the year, we get both of them. Right? We understand God and we understand repentance or grace and repentance like two weeks out of the year. So it's like this constant swing in battle. Like there's times where I just want to preach to you, man, show me some fruit. But then there's times where I see you broken and hurt and I go, but no, God's grace loves you just like you are, you fruitless being you. I mean, like, I, like that's how it is, you know? And it's this frustration and this struggle to just trust God in the process, right? To just love you where you're at. And trust God in the process, right? But if I'm your real friend, though, I've got to address those moments. This is where the challenge happens. Oh, Paul's like, I love you, but know this, chapter two's coming. Chapter three's coming. <laughs> oh, I just started this letter. <laughs> it's coming. I'm just telling you how I love you. Like, the more he tells me he loves me, the more I'm going, oh, man. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> I just want to tell you I love you. I mean, like, be honest with you, if one of my friends came to me, like, you know, man, I, like my mentor, if he comes to jail, I just want to, I think you're doing a good job. Dude, just say it. <laughs> just say it. Don't butter me up. Just say it, you know? And, and that's how I feel like Paul is right here, but he's telling me, I love your repentance. I see it. Know that I see it. I believe that God's called you for the fact. I mean, he's like, he's loving them up right here. And it, it just, it causes this, there's so much love in Paul that it begins to cause this like chain reaction, which it should be for all of us, by the way. It caused him to pray. He says, man, I haven't stopped praying for you. I'm going to pray for you, right? Which, by the way, leaders in the room, which you all should be leaders in the room, leaders pray. Leaders pray. And they don't pray for themselves. They pray for others. They do. That's the making of a great leader. Ask Jesus. He's the, he is the, the, the king of kings, yes, but he's also the king of showing us how to pray, about praying for others. He prayed for three, uh, Paul prayed for three things here. 
You can number them if you want to. I mean, just bringing out the obvious here. He prayed first and foremost that they might be given spiritual wisdom and insight. The second thing he tells me says, man, I prayed that you might be given the confidence, the confidence in those Christ is called. Lastly, he says they, they prayed that they might be given understanding into the power of God in salvation and how that works. So let's discuss these three things. I'm just starting this morning, just starting. Uh, let's discuss these three things a little bit and why they're so important to Paul. Uh, and why he would pray over these uh, lovely Ephesians whom he, he found so, so dear to his heart. So spiritual wisdom, insight. Uh, uh, spiritual wisdom, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. Uh, it's wisdom that is beyond the natural. It's beyond natural wisdom. Like you can learn all you want from this world, but that doesn't make you spiritually wise at all. You can be a spiritual fool in this world with all the wisdom you want and success that you have here. And listen, wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the understanding of how to use the knowledge that you've learned. That's what wisdom is. There are people that know a lot and are dumb. They just are. They know a lot of stuff, but they don't know how to apply the stuff that they've learned. Uh, that's what wisdom is. Uh, uh, spiritual wisdom is that which comes from the Holy Spirit. It's godly. It's good. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It coincides with God's words. It coincides with God's decrees. Much like when Jesus is tempted, you can tell the devil pours out God's words too, by the way. But right, how does Jesus, he, he goes, no, 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 no you're, you're using it wrong. You're using the scriptures wrong. It's like, no, this is the way it is. And we understand that. We understand when the scriptures are used out of context. That's what spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom, right? That's what insight is. Insight, the New Living uh, uses that word insight as, a, as a, 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 the, the, the topic there, but it's, that's not a really good word for it, really. Uh, it's, it really is a two-word. It really is spiritual discernment. Um, and so he's saying, like, I pray that you, just have, you have spiritual wisdom, but not more than just spiritual wisdom, uh, spiritual discernment. You need both. You need to be able to know right and wrong here. You need to be able to know that when something is good and something is bad, you need this. Paul would go on to tell the Thessalonians this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. He says, test everything that's said and hold on to what is good. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual discernment go hand in hand. We are to test everything that's said. Never just take someone's word on it. Go research and find out for yourself. Hello. Hello. I'm going to tell you, I have sat underneath uh, uh, churches early on uh, when I was so hungry for the word of God and listened to bad preachers preach. And nobody knew they were bad preachers except the people who listened and understood what the Word of God says. I've had people literally get up in a church one time, a pastor of his own church, brought this guy in, and this guy in was sold on something that he had read that had told him the King James Bible was somehow false or this, or the way it translated something was bad or something. And so, like, he told some story about this man dying in the hospital and and how um, if this man just had more faith, but because he'd read the King James, the faith that he had learned about in the King James was just not good enough to get him up out of the bed. And like he's like this, eight, this man's like 90-something years old. I was like, dude, he's 90-something years old, man. <laughs> First of all, uh, just have some common sense here. All right. Second of all, if he wants to go home at 90-something years old, that's up to him. Third, I, I don't know if you can talk about the King James Bible. By the way, you wouldn't have all these other translations if it wasn't for the King James surviving. Okay, I mean, so it's hard to beat up that which brought you there. 
Okay, yeah, I just don't think you do that ever. I don't think you beat up the Bible which carried the church for so long. Uh, I don't care how it was birthed, or I don't care all the, the stuff that goes along, the, the history and drama, but it lasted the test of time, man. And, uh, and it was bad. And, like, and I literally, it wasn't too long after that, I heard the, this, the pastor who had invited that guy, him, his theology was messed up. And you could just hear, like, dumb stuff, guys. <laughs> and you'd just be amazed how many people just say, Amen. Like, I think, I think um, they say that a Nazi Germany, one thing that Hitler understood about people that you can never convince a single individual, but you could always convince the mob. And I honestly wonder at times if pastors don't utilize that for an agenda or for anything else, because it's so easy to say something that's false from the pulpit and get an amen in the crowd. And once two or three amen that thing, because they ain't listening, maybe they just woke up and said amen. All right? I mean, once two or three said it, it's like as if to say we all agree. And other people who hear it who aren't spiritual, maybe they're spiritual babes. They just accept it. Because why? Because everybody else said it was good. By the way, that's the wide road that everybody walks. Listen to anything. They believe what anybody says. Research. If something I says to you challenges you, the whole idea about being challenged, go find out for yourself. Not just disagree with me for the sake of disagreeing with me. Go look it up. Go look it up. Search it. Research it yourself. Find out for yourself. You're responsible. But you don't, I've said this many times. A lot of you heard this before. You won't get to say, man, Pastor Jim said this, Jesus. He'd be like, so? <laughs> I mean, that's what he's going to say. And, and I'm, you know what I'm going to say? Man, I'm sorry. I was, I mean, like, I'm learning to, you know, I've had to go back and, like, I've said it in here from the pulpit that I've had to go back and look over stuff that I've participated in in ministry and go, that was way wrong. So, I mean, Revelation's funny how it comes, man. Sometimes you're just so sure, man, and then all of a sudden you see God opens up like a veil, a side door, and you're like, well, I didn't see all that. And God's like, I know, but you were so eager to just do something rather than wait before you saw the full picture, which, by the way, is a repentance part, you know. We get sucked into too, too many things that sound good on the outside but are empty and shallow on the inside. It's like our meme culture, for instance. For, for those of you who are young and you see all these memes, I love all these, like, they show all these, like, fancy, like, quotes and stuff. And I've talked about it in here before. It drives me crazy. Like, everybody's got a quote. Everybody wants a little fancy quote, you know, a little picture with words on it and stuff. And I'm like, man, I hope this stuff is, le- I mean, I hope it's really, I, I, and just, unfortunately, life is not just a 140-syllable uh, you know, one sentence quote in life, you know, I don't, and, and like the funny thing is you just think you're one quote away from like, man, that's it. I've read this. This is going to be it. My whole life's going to be like this. I'm going to go out and live my life. And I think the, the worst thing that's happened to us with media today and, and news and social media is that we only see the best of people's lives. So we assume everybody's having a great time in life, but us. And so there's this false perception of what's going on, this shallow thing. By the way, go research, research somebody's life, man. They ain't doing that good. They make it look good on Facebook like they ain't never had a problem day in their life. You know better. You know better. They got their days where they ain't pretty. They just don't put that on Facebook. They got their days where things ain't good and it's all bad. But do you really, like half of you, really, do you want to read that on Facebook? My days, I mean, like if we were really to chronicle our days on Facebook, like 70% of it would be how horrible our life is and half of you would unfriend each other. I'm not going to listen to that negativity. Well, that's our whole life, man. That's, that's most of our life. Come on, be honest, man. Not every day is the day where you're so excited to be alive. I live with four girls. I'm telling you, it's impossible. 
They wake up and every day they don't get to sleep in, it's the most horriblest day on the planet. <laughs> every day they don't get to sleep in, it's like that. Man, things are like that. Test what you see. Not everything is what you see. Test it. Know it. Spiritual discernment. Spiritual wisdom. It comes from prayer. Why are we going to have prayer nights? Why am I going to make a big deal? Why am I going to like try to heap holy guilt on you? Because I want revival. I want you to be hungry for prayer. If you're hungry for prayer, you'll hunger for God. I'm going to tell you right now, the church that can launch the prayer revival will be the church that ushers in the greatest, uh, uh, the greatest next awakening that will happen this country's ever seen. It comes from prayer. It comes from reading also God's Word. What are you reading? What are you reading? Are you reading God's Word every day? In your devotional moments where the Lord can teach you, you're going to find a spiritual growth that will help you apply the principles of God's Word that are practical, that will help you in life. You know, I, 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 such the Christian life is meant to be lived out. It's not meant to be a, a, a quote. It's not meant to be a little nice little compartmentalized box. It's not, it's not meant to be uh, 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 neat and tucked away. The Christian life is messy. It's like I told you Wednesday. For those who weren't here, I told you Wednesday I went to the dentist, and I kind of scared the lady there and, and, and kind of had a little anxiety moment there. And like, that's the Christian life is them having to come up to me as we're making the appointment to go back and me going, man, I'm completely sorry. And, and I'm, I'm so ashamed and I'm, and, 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 uh, and, and I didn't do anything awful, but I mean, like it was, I felt like I needed to apologize. Like this is not my best. And you just saw me when I'm not my best, but you know what my best is me going, I'm sorry. I make mistakes. I know I'm a pastor but I'm human, and, and I recognize that I've made you feel uncomfortable in my anxiety, and I'm trying to work on this thing, and I'm not perfect, and I'm, I have struggles, and that's, but that's when people get to see God. I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing more wonderful, nothing more refreshing than seeing somebody that's brutally honest and, and completely forthcoming. That, like they admit, you, would, you just admitted you had flaws? Yeah, absolutely. How else are you going to see Jesus? How else? And so, like, it's in those moments that God teaches us, man. Listen, this is the power of the South. This is the power of Christ moving in you. Like, I know you keep thinking that you just need to keep putting your best foot forward and let everybody see your best foot. Christ is saying, man, let them see it all, man. Let it all come out there. Let them see me working in you. But the only way they can do that is that they see where I work in you. Well, when is that? Man, when I... When I don't do good, when I am messing up, when I, I do have an anxiety moment, when I, do, when, I, when I do act in a way that's compromising to the what I say, right? But then I come back and I apologize. Why? Because my, first of all, that's the sign of repentance, by the way. My heart is hurting. Like there's this self-inflicted shame. Now, Jesus doesn't stop loving me in that moment. And Jesus says, there's no, there's no condemnation for me. But there's this pointed thing that comes back at me and goes, you know better. This is not the walk of a repentant man apologize and step back up and and that's the repent part apologize and walk back right with me and when people see that they see the repentance right and they see stepping back into the man of god that's the testimony of my life that's the one that brings glory to jesus christ that's the one that makes other people more committed to loving Jesus than anything because they see that they can fall and slip to step right back into the position and see God work through that whole scenario. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. How will you know if you're growing spiritually in wisdom, if you're growing into that? 
The answer is when you can apply biblical truth to your life. When you're able to apply biblical truth to your life, when you're able to teach yourself knowing when you should repent, knowing when you should walk right, knowing when you should say things, when you make good choices, when you avoid making foolish mistakes, that's when you know. I mean, like, for instance, when we went on the, went on the cruise a while back, there's never a day goes by where I don't want the alcohol. Just know that. But to go that entire cruise, and believe me, it merited alcohol. It was not a fun time for us. I mean, we, we, we enjoyed being alone, but there were just like so many other circumstances, like getting sick, and uh, we were in the front of the boat, and that thing rocked like it was going. We had to put pillows up so we'd stay in the bed. And like there was just all these alternative things, right? I mean, and at the end of the day, we were like, we just kind of laughed. You know, at the end of the whole thing, we were laughing about it because honestly, it's the most I think we've been together in 20 years. Like where we actually, I, I can't remember another time where we had three or four days together. But it was just funny how like there were circumstances in that scenario that like caused us to look and go, yeah, that's totally tempting. I could totally see how you could enjoy a trip on a ship if you're drinking. Because I could forget about all the things that were bad. And it just totally, like, and it was so funny, but like that's, by the way, that's applying biblical tr- truth to my life, knowing that I suffer from that, knowing that I go, you know what, it was like, it was like a place where I could go, you know what, this part of my life's over, and it was like a good thing for me to see, like, okay, I'm going to always go back to the Lord. You know, I'm going to rely on the Lord. When things get bad for me, alcohol is not my choice anymore. Jesus is my choice, and I'm always going to go back to that. I, I avoid making foolish mistakes by what? By Thinking about Jesus by putting myself back before the Lord. What has he done for me? He's done so much. We're not going to stop the forward progress here. Not by this decision. I'm not going to. I've often said that reaching maturity in Christ revolves around two things. Feeding yourself and feeding others. As you spiritually grow in wisdom and spiritually grow in discernment, you become mature. Maturity comes from being able to feed yourself. When you can pick up your own utensils and feed yourself, you're doing a pretty good job. Next thing, once you can feed yourself, you have the responsibility in your life to feed others. That's the responsibility. Because here's why. Your plate must stay somewhat empty. It has to. You have to keep your plate somewhat empty. The cycle of ministry works like this. Because if your plate stays full and you're constantly got a full plate, eventually your food's going to go bad. You can't eat it all. God's a living water. You know, they describe that when they talk about it actually in the, in the, in the context that it's in. Living water, it's, it's constantly water being poured in and, and water's being poured out. So there's always this renewing that's happening. It's flowing out while this is flowing in, flowing out while this is flowing in. If you get to a point where you're never flowing out, it's just going to stagnate. It's just going to stagnate. There comes a point where it has to flow out. It has to go out. There has to be an, a source to pour it out into, Right? No one exists in the church just to show up and sit. Each person has a gift by which they operate and they bring functionality to the body of Christ. As we pour ourselves out, only then, only then can we be filled. Right? A lot of times in church we see people who get, they're like, well, I just feel like I'm not being fed. Well, feed yourself. Feed yourself. It's not the pastor's responsibility to feed you. Now I'm going to tell you what the pastor's responsibility is. To be the stone of challenge in your life. I hope that pastors, that's what they do, that they come in and they give you a word. Maybe you haven't heard something that challenges your heart and sticks with you in a certain way. It just doesn't ever, it's like, it's like a thorn in your shoe. You just don't have time to get it out yet. So you just keep walking on. You're like, man, this kind of makes you grumpy a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what a good word is. And maybe they can give you the unction to get back into the word yourself where you're feeding yourself, right? So you can pour out and you have your own ministry. You help 
another piece. That's how the body of Christ works. We work to help each other. All right? Everything works to help each other. The only people you can't fill up are full cups. Don't be a full cup. Second thing Paul talks about, our confidence in Christ. And this one's a little bit more difficult to understand because it, it, it does require a little bit of uh, 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 spiritual wisdom, a little bit. But it also requires this deep search within our own heart. Paul tells them that uh, this is done when we look into our heart and then we look back to Christ. When we look inside and we look at Jesus. Now, I love how Paul says it because he says, uh, 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 he describes it kind of as like a floodlight upon your heart. He's saying to take a look and see how uh, uh, in your heart, look inside your heart and look at those dark places. But as Christ is taking refuge in there, those places begin to disappear. Now, in this kind of study, in really in theology, we call it the study of depravity. And it's basically the study of the the deep moral wickedness of your own heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, you'll never fully appreciate who Jesus is until you fully recognize how deeply sinful you are. You'll never fully understand how great the salvation of God is until you understand how deeply twisted and wicked you are, right? Every time you laugh at one of those failed uh, uh, little videos where you watch somebody get hit in the face by a kid or, you know what I'm saying, don't lie, you laugh at those, I laugh at those, right? Where like the little three-year-old comes over and he's supposed to be hitting the pinata, but guess what? Dad took it right where he shouldn't took it and he's on his knees and, and we're laughing about all that. Why we, why we laugh? Because... Look, it's funny. What's funny? That he got hurt? That he's on the floor? That, uh, uh, well, it's not life injury. I know, but it's, I mean, come on. The fact that we laugh at stuff like that. I was just thinking about the kind of words that, that even guys I know go to church that, that t- when they talk about liberals, the kind of words that they use, they're so inappropriate. So inappropriate. Some, some of the things that I see. But it's because we justify certain aspects of our life, we don't realize the weakness of our own heart. We don't realize how we talk about people. No wonder there's such a clash between a left and a right because we, don't, we, we make fun of each other all the time and we think it's okay. We make fun of each other's beliefs. We make fun of, well, no wonder nobody wants to talk. Listen, it doesn't mean I've got to compromise my beliefs because I disagree with them, but I sure don't have to demean them either. I don't. I won't agree with them, but I don't have to call them names. You know, why do we do that? And, and, the, and the sad part is some, some of that is funny to me. So, I mean, and, and why is it? Because of the wickedness of my own heart, right? But when I have this correct idea of what my own heart looks like, then I'm able to see what Jesus really is. John 3, 19, 20 describes, he says, and in the judgment is based on this fact, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their fear that their sins will be exposed. That's always the case. Why don't people come to church? They've been coming to church a bunch. Why don't they come to church? Uh, John 3. Because I'm going to have to deal with it. I'm going to have to either come and deal with it, or I'm going to sit here and have to fake it. None of us really like faking it. We all want to be loved just how we are, truthfully. The only person who loves us just like we are is Jesus. Because if people knew how sinful and depraved each other, each other is, I mean, one of the things that the military did a great job is teaching me the depravity of man. I mean, it, it, there's so much truth. The, this, the saying that came from the movie Fury is, they asked this kid, have you seen it? And he goes, seen what? What men can do to other men. 
War definitely will teach you how darkly depraved we are. You judge, the, you judge the Nazis because of the way they treated the Jews in the Holocaust, but don't think that you're better. You have it within you just to be just as evil and wicked as them. Just as evil and wicked as it's in there. And until you understand that, you cannot appreciate Jesus. The more you understand your own depravity, how easy it is for you to sink right. As a military guy, a guy who's experienced such a dramatic amount of change, my wife will tell you. I know y'all haven't seen me in that episode, but I was. I would. I'm telling you, man. I was the type of 19 year old that wouldn't have had no problem being mean to people, at all, at all. Beat people up because they think it's funny. Hurt somebody because I would just get a good laugh out of it. Just, just because. So it was no problem for me when somebody says, do you know that you have a wicked heart? Absolutely. And be boastful about it. Absolutely. I remember telling a street corner preacher, this is true, guys, I'm ashamed of it, but a street corner preacher, he's out just preaching the gospel in Canton, Texas one day. I was, I was high. I was out of the Marine Corps, and I was with an Army buddy, and uh, we're both high. And I remember this guy preaching, and like, you know that this guy could probably just see that in my eyes, my red bloodshot eyes, and was just like... And he says something, I don't even know, but it was something about like God and angels and devil. I don't know, it was something like, it felt like so condemning or whatever like that. And I was like, listen, dude, I will totally, uh, uh, I think, I think the, uh, uh, if y'all remember all the Branch Davidian stuff had just happened, the Waco Jesus stuff, I said, I will totally Waco Jesus you. And I mean, I, mean, I was like, so like, I will totally knock you out if you say another word to me again. I mean, that's the kind of guy I was. Right? And so understanding the depravity within my own heart, knowing that is. Like, my kids have never seen that man. But I am always, you pull Jesus, if you extract him from my heart, that is who I am. Now, can I do good things? Absolutely. Can I be a son a mother can love? I was. Can I say nice things? And, and uh, I mean, even as awful as I was, man, I won over joy. That's doing pretty good, guys, because she's pretty awesome. So there are times where, I'll, oh, yeah, I can do some good things, and I can say some nice stuff, and I can be a nice guy if I have to be. But then there's something that Jesus did to me that's totally, like, ripped me into another person. Hello, I've been born again. Right? And, and the more I walk in that, the more confidence I have in it. Not in me, but in Jesus in me, man. I know that guy's going to be with me forever. I know he's going to deliver me no matter how I act or what I do, that God can redeem the moment. Why? Because I'm willing to repent Turn and walk with him and, 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 and let go of, of uh, first of all, let go of pride. Like, I'm a pastor. I should act better. Da, da, da. No, 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 no. I'm a person who needs Jesus. You're not going to heap that on me. I'm a person who needs Jesus just like you. Don't you heap perfection on me. I need God every day in my life. And every day I need him, I grow confident because every time he delivers me from one more thing that I mess up or say or make a mistake about, he delivers me. Now, we all have this tendency to stay away from the light. We have a tendency to stay away from Jesus. Why? Because he exposes all this about us. And some of us, this is where pride sets in. I don't want to know this side about me. I want to believe that things are always going to get, you know, you're living in a false narrative. And Paul understood all this. That's why he said to the Ephesians, he says, let there be a flood of light upon your hearts so that all of this darkness is pushed out so that Jesus can fully reign within you. This is what he's saying to them. This flood of light exposes everything 
so that everyone will truly be able to witness the power of God at the church of Ephesus. The more understanding you have of, of the sinfulness of your dark places, the greater his light will shine in your heart. Remember, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Right? The more we understand this, the more it produces our confidence in Jesus and what he can do. The more we walk in this, the more confidence. Don't you know that the longer we walk with Jesus, the more confidence, the more assurance we have? The more you know Jesus and get to know him and the longer you walk, the more you walk in the freedom of life. Why? Because to know Jesus is to know freedom. And it's easy to say like a cliche right there. But when I say you get to walk in freedom because you're always rest assured that Jesus has you. That's the one thing you like. You come to know about him. Jesus has me. I'm I'm taken care of. I'm in I'm in a relationship with him. Like uh, uh, I've been uh, with joy for 20 years now. I don't have to worry about uh, uh, joy uh, uh, doing anything that would be unfaithful or anything like that. Now, first of all, it's not that we just let things go. What do we do? Because I am actively seeking relationship with her. I'm going to make sure we go on dates. I'm going to make sure people ask you, "How do you stay married that long?" Super easy, guys. I date my wife. I talk with her at night. She's my best friend. I'm going to, I mean, we're going to have, I'm not going to go spend more time hanging out with the guys than I am with my wife. That's never going to happen. My wife is, that why? Because I seek active relationship with her. Why do you last that long? Because you seek active relationship. You want to walk with Jesus that produces an assurance in you so that you walk with freedom? Seek active relationship with Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Starts with prayer. Starts with reading God's word. The saddest part about most Christianity is you could totally grow in Christianity. You could totally uh, develop your, your Christian walk if you would just do two things. And the biggest struggle of the church today is not how many people we can put in a pew or how big a building we can get or what kind of technology we should use or how many pastors we should hire. The two problems facing the church today is how do I get my people to pray and how do I get them to read the word? Because I've developed a church now that says they never have to do it because I'll give them technology so they won't have to. I'll preach to them all the time. And teach them that what they really need is me. So that I become indisposable. And we've created a pastoral ministry that's become indisposable. Why? Because we've taught you to be palsy. We've told you that you can run before you walk. That you can have the free life right now without ever doing anything to follow Jesus. Oh, I'm preaching now. I'm not even on my notes now. Somehow we've taught you that it was okay. You could bypass those two things and everything would still be okay. And that's wrong. A successful disciple is one that has a daily prayer life that has a daily reading of God's word. I'm not saying it has to be four hours long. You can develop what that is. But the one that knows Jesus is the one that has an active relationship. Do you see your wife every day? Do you see your husbands every day? Do you see your friends every day? Then why aren't you talking with Jesus every day? And because men have been afraid to confront, because they have all this vision about what can be in their dreams and their visions that need to be paid for, they're so scared to hurt your feelings, they're so scared to say something that's going to drive you out. Good thing we don't have bills here, right? I don't have to be worried about that. But it's the truth. It's the truth. I'm going to beat that drum until you get sick of hearing it. Lastly, the power of God unto salvation. The word Paul just uses to describe all that i love it simple he says it's incredible it's incredible because it is paul tells people that he loved dearly that the same power that raised christ from the dead has now seated him in a place of honor at god's right hand jesus now sits in a heavenly authority he now acts as the authority and ruler of this world and not only in this world but the next one as well god has placed everything 
under the authority of Jesus Christ, even the church of Ephesus, even Mosaic Community Church. It's all been placed under the throne, under the hierarchy or the leadership of the head. The Bible paints the church as a body of believers. I don't know which part of the body you are. It doesn't matter. You're part of one body. That's all that matters. Not better than. You don't exist without the other. The, the, the irony is, is that like you see uh, different people that have some, you know, pretty awesome giftings, but they don't realize, I mean, down to the, uh, look, look at how detailed the body is and how much we know about the body, all the cells and all the little things that we've come to understand about the body. Um, the funniest thing to me about the body is like, we have all these, we have arms, we have appendages, they can do all these awesome things. And then like, it, it seems like there's really nothing new under the sun to be found out in the last decade or so, maybe 15 years. Um, there's been a real, uh, 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 you know, breakthrough in science as they uh, discovered, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, uh, what are the cells, Jerry, that, that, that uh, they used to, like, uh, heal things fast? They were taking them from stem cells. Man, stem cells. All of a sudden, that's part of the body, guys. That's where it came from. It's not something they just made up. But here's this all of a sudden part of the body that all of a sudden sounds like, like uh, phenomenal. Like it would just, it can heal all types of things. And there's, they've tried to like, you know, like literally growing organs with this thing and it's doing it. It's like there's some phenomenal things going on. They're still learning about the body. But you know what? Most stuff, most people, you know, for years they looked over stem cells. Oh, they just don't have enough. There's not as value in there as all these other things we need to really look at. And I often think that's the body of Christ too. I often think there's all kinds of things under the surface of the body of Christ. We tend to see the ones that are, have gifts that are obvious, and we miss the ones that are subtle, that have just as much value, if not more, sometimes. <coughs> there's only one body and only one head. As God has granted a portion to, uh, unto Jesus, Jesus has all the rights to give what's his. He's chosen to give us a portion. Isaiah 53, go and read it. Why? Simple. Please the Father. That's like baffles us sometimes just to say that, like it just please God. Make God happy. Just make God happy. It's like, why did God do that? Because he wanted to be happy. Made him feel good. That should make you feel good, by the way. Why did why did Jesus come and die for you? Because it makes God feel good. It makes God feel good to know that you're saved. Makes God to feel good to know that you're coming to him. Makes God to feel good to know that one day that you'll be where he is. It just pleasures him. Just makes them like what, think about whatever that is for you. Like, man, you can think of like a wonderful vacation, you go away, and you're like, this was the most greatest time of my life. And, and that's God going, that's my whole plan for you. What is the greatest time in God's life? You. you you're, you're what pleasures God. Thinking about you, ways to deliver you, ways to rescue you is what pleases God. We're the bricks of the house, and without the mortar, we would fall. And Jesus is the mortar, He's the binding agent that holds us together. He is the binding agent that holds us together. There's always going to be, in life, there's always going to be cliques of people that are bound together by interests or hobbies. Man, I, 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 the strangest thing for me is I have all these different little hobbies, and it's allowed me to get to know so many people, uh, whether it's art or whether it's literally cosplay or costume stuff or, or hunting. or It's allowed me to jump from group to group and get to know a lot of people. Um, but the truth of the matter is we're all one body. We're all one body. We share the same, same Jesus, same God, same God. I am going to throw this at you. Come next Wednesday, get ready. Uh, when I was coming across and, and really looking at some of this, one of the things I wanted to prepare us for on Wednesdays is I'm going to start making us jump tables. We've got to get out of our comfort zone, man, start loving other people. It's easy to hold up with our families. It's easy to hold up with our friends, you know, the ones we just kind of do life with all the time. 
But it's good to be uncomfortable too. It's good to get to know somebody else and find out you might have a friendship that you didn't realize, that you couldn't have appreciated. Some of the greatest friends in my life are, again, have some been some of the greatest antagonists in my life. They're guys that, like, rub me raw sometimes. But I love them. Why? Because they rub me raw. Because they make me think about things I would never think about. And, like, I have found that even the youngest, like, I have, I, I've learned from little ones. I've learned from teenagers. I've learned from people my age. I've learned from people just a little bit older. And I've learned from people a lot older. There's, like, nothing. If you really go into every relationship looking for the wisdom and the little kernels of truth that somebody's learned that you didn't know, you'll be so surprised at what kind of value someone brings. Like, I have a, a, a guy in my life. Uh, um, who I kind of mentor. I don't know if I mentor him as much anymore, but I, starting out, I kind of mentored him. But the funny thing about what I learned about hanging out with him as I mentored, I, mainly mentoring means a lot of just listening. I listen a lot. And I'll just ask questions a lot and let him like do the thinking. And, and, but I would listen to a lot. And one of the things that I would love about hanging out with him is uh, he would tell the best stories and, uh, and like the funniest stuff, and it was just stuff that I would never hear anywhere else but with him. And so like the value that I like, man, I know that he probably thinks that it's all about me like pouring into him. But man, am I really walking away with some rich stuff? Because some of the stories he would tell me, I mean, like I tell these stories. They're funny. They're great stories. And they're life stories. Like this is what kind of made him him. And it's just funny, like, getting to know all of you and like listening to your stories and like where you come from and like what makes you you. It's so fascinating because you know what it teaches me? It teaches me about life and people. And I'm, I'm a learner, man. I want to learn about all of it. And, and, and here's the thing about why that's important. Two things, two most important things. You're to love God. And what's the second? To love others. I'm going to tell you the best way to love somebody else is to listen to them. Best way to love somebody else is to listen to them. So on Wednesdays a little bit, we're going to change that up a little bit. We're going to we're going to push things around a little. We're going to rotate the room a little bit. But uh, I want us to be hungry for relationship with anybody and everybody. I want us to seek out the truth of each other. I want us to uh, see Jesus in each other. And, and uh, man, you'd be surprised what comes out of that kind of stuff. It, it, it's pretty awesome. In, in all of this, we're made full and complete. Not in, not in how wise we might become, nor in how spiritual discerning we might become. But we are made full and complete through the sanctifying heart of Jesus. So we were talking earlier about repentance and all these things. And at the end of the day, man, it's all going to be about Jesus. All, all the sanctification, all the work, the progress of repentance, all the, all the work of knowing assurance and knowing God, it's all going to be his work. Christ desires that we not stay where we're at. That's why, like we were talking about this morning during the announcements, man, make no mistake, by, there, there could be some significant changes by the end, the end of this year. Why? Because God will create an unrest in us. He will stir us up and we'll be like, it's the devil. And we will like, we'll say things like, we need to fight this. And we just need to, we just need to like a renewal. And, but listen, God will create an unrest when change needs to take place. Mark my words, I told you that the next move will happen by faith. It won't be one you're comfortable with. It'll be one that requires faith. And what will happen is this. God will create unrest in your life to force change upon you. Because let's be honest, you crave, I crave comfort. Come on, it's Sunday afternoon. You're not going to have church this evening. Don't tell me you ain't going back and going to kick back and watch Cowboys. <laughs> some of you are like, I already like wrote down the grocery list while you were preaching, preacher. Yeah. I'm getting some chips and some dip. I'm going to make me a little big long sandwich while I'm watching Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, old Pastor Jim thought about it too. 
Mm-hmm. We crave comfort, man. That's why God shows us the cross. It's like a kick, right? Right in the gut. Like, God, can you make this easy? I did. I poured it out on Jesus. I did make it easy on you. I poured it out on him. He, he took the cross. You didn't have to. He did that. He did that. So when Jesus says, man, you're, now you're to carry your cross, what is your cross? To walk in the light, man. To expose your heart to the light of Jesus, which is not going to be comfortable. It means, wait a minute, I don't want everybody to see it. I know, I know, I know. But that's what light does. And how will you ever be free from it until it gets exposed? How will you ever be free from it? God desires to flood our heart with light so that we can be confident in him who saves us. So this morning, we're going to pray for these areas. Uh, uh, I want us to receive these um, three prayers like within our hearts. Come on. So that we might have confidence in Christ and his ability to save us. These three things, right? That's what we pray for, right? I mean, first and foremost, man, we, we, we pray for our own salvation. We pray for the salvation of those who are lost, man. How many people you know somebody right now that needs Jesus? I meet them all the time. I know people right now that are struggling with things so deep. But you know, what's, you know what they're struggling with more than anything? In, in my opinion, like truthfully struggling with, they're struggling not with like alcoholism. They're struggling not with drug addiction. They're struggling with salvation, man, the, that God could love them. That's what they struggle with. Does God love me? Because if they understood that God loves them right where they're at, they'd be at church. They get that. That's what they don't understand. More than anything else, what drives people away from church is not judgment. It's the love of God because they can't comprehend. And they sure don't want to reveal that darkness to the light. It becomes a scary moment. John 3 says what? They hide from it. They don't want it to be seen. Right? So we have to preach grace to them. We preach love to them. Listen, Jesus loves us while he was yet sinners. So we pray for those who need salvation this morning. I want to pray for that this morning. I, I want to pray for those uh, 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 to receive spiritual wisdom and insight. Paul said that was a good thing to pray for for the Ephesian church. Why can't it be something we pray for here at Mosaic? Paul said he prayed for the church of Ephesus that they might have confidence in Christ through their calling. You've been called to be what? To be conformed unto the image of Jesus Christ according to Romans 8. So we want to pray for that. For those who are, who are, who are the called of God to be conformed. We want that confirmation within us. We want us to take on the image of Jesus so that others when they see us they see Christ and not us. Right. Lastly, we want to pray uh, uh, that we might be given understanding unto the power of God through salvation. So we're going to take this time and we're going to worship through the next few songs. Right. And then as we come in, then we're going to like have a time of prayer. And, and, and Rachel will just kind of keep playing. And we'll have a little moment of silence where we're going to pray for these things. We're going to pray for the confidence that we need in Christ. We're going to pray for the others that need salvation out there. One thing that can't stay the same, that can't stay the same, is we've got to tell others about Jesus. We've got to tell others about Christ. That doesn't mean whether they come here or not. I don't care. I don't care. But a healthy church is one that tells people about Jesus. A healthy church is one that's telling others about the life that God's given them and blessed them. And we need to do so the same. And we also want to pray for understanding. That God give us uh, spiritual wisdom and insight into the, our future, into the vision that he has for us, to the things that are coming up. Because we need it. We need it. Pray for the guys that, that, are, that, are, that help me out on, on the board. If you don't know, they are Jared, Eric, and, and Mark. And those guys help me out make decisions. And, and we try to make the best decisions. We pray for, pray for them, right? 
I heard a confirmation the other day that uh, I think Michael was at a place and he says one of the things the pastor said there, and this, tell me if this didn't sound like familiar from last year, they said that the next big move of God they believe might probably happen from the men in the church because we've already, the women have ran the church for the last 15, 20 years. It's the truth. Thank you, women, by the way. So, uh, there's a lot that still run this one, guys. So I believe it also. We've got to invest into our veterans. A lot of things coming up there. You need to think about these are things to pray for, wisdom, understanding towards all those things, okay? Let's worship. Let's, let's worship this morning. Let's go before the Lord. Let's sing to him. Let's give him our hearts this morning and come together in prayer here at the end.